Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinatra Walker here with Dr. Christina Hallett on our Be Awesome series on Mental Health News Radio. Hey, Christina. Hey, Kristen. I'm so glad to be here as always. And (laughs) you know how it works. If it's not just you and I hanging out talking to our listeners, then we always have an awesome guest. And I can absolutely guarantee that you are going to love and adore the guests that we have joining us today. Dr. Ashley Hampton, who we fondly know as Dr. Ashley, is a psychologist, and she and I met just under a year ago. And she's definitely one of those people that as soon as you meet her, you start smiling and you think, wow, she's personable, she's smart, she's got so much on the ball, and she's literally just a delight to talk to you. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Ashley with us today. Hey, Ashley. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. (laughs) How are y'all doing today? That was so nice. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. And it's so true. We've been talking about this for a while. And literally, the in fact, Kristen, as before we, you and I did our first show, I actually was messaging with Ash, Dr. Ashley and saying, hey, would you be willing to come and be a guest on the show? <laughs> and so we hadn't even done our first one. And I knew that she was someone I wanted us to talk to. Hmm. Well, tell our listeners why. Dr. Ashley, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? (laughs) Sure. I have two hats that I wear. I am a licensed psychologist in the day. I work with uh, kids and adults that have been involved in child protective services in some way. And then at night or on my off days, I work as an entrepreneurial coach for female entrepreneurs who are looking to... um, pretty much create effective and sustainable businesses. So my specialties are connecting people with other entrepreneurs, other service providers, things like that, and setting up systems and strategies in order to make business sustainable and efficient because we want to work smarter and live more. I love that. That is fantastic. 
So Kristen, you, you get a sense already. The minute that Dr. Ashley and I met, we're like, oh my God, you're a psychologist. I'm a psychologist. You're mm-hmm. doing entrepreneur stuff. I'm doing entrepreneur stuff. Like how often does that happen? There's not a lot of psychologists that I've met. Although actually, uh, I think Dr. Lisa Day similarly yes. as well. Yes. Yes. She and I just started talking too, which is crazy. So <laughs> it becomes I really a like small it. world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it puts a different spin on psychology that I don't know about you, but I didn't learn in school. And really it opens up this view of the world that for me is so invigorating. I love working with entrepreneurs. It was not at all my plan as I went through school. You know, I was just going to work with families and kids and parents and you know, relationships and how normal problems happen, like divorce and things like that and stumbling blocks along the way. And then the journey took this interesting twist and entrepreneurs are so much fun. So I really like being in that space. (laughs) And Kristen, as an entrepreneur, what would you say? Would you agree? Are you fun? Yeah, I can be for sure. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day. We definitely um, have a, a a similar, you know, we have commonalities being entrepreneurs for sure. I'd love you, um, Dr. Ashley, to talk about what you found those are. Well, a lot of people actually have entrepreneurial spirits in them, I find. They just don't really know how to let them out because they've never really looked at how to be a business owner. So for example, in school, I was taught how to listen to people, very important as an entrepreneur. Um, You really need to listen to what they're saying, but you also need to listen to what they're not saying. And that when you work for yourself and when you're trying to um, be a service provider is probably one of the coolest tools you can have. And so really being a psychologist and being an entrepreneur kind of meshes more so than really anything else I can think of. Um, You know how to listen to people, you know how to talk to people, you know how to really be empathic and hear, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of the, all of the behind the scenes stuff, all the emotional stuff that nobody talks about because of whatever reason they're embarrassed or they're scared or you know, really sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're on our last hundred dollars and we've (laughs) got to make something work. And that becomes very scary for people. So as a psychologist, you know, you can kind of tap into that empathy where you know where people are coming from, but in the same space, you know, okay, well, let's look at some of the things that are holding you back. Because if you're down to your last hundred dollars, something's holding you back. Right. So it's it's a good mix, I feel like, um, blending the two. And yeah, I think I, that's why I like it so much. I find it fascinating, too, where, um, you know, my poor son, like he grew up with me being an entrepreneur. And so he is now like, I am going to have a regular job for the rest of my oh, life no. <laughs> with a steady paycheck, blah, blah, blah. And I hope he, because he's, you know, he's extremely intelligent and witty and all of these things. I hope that he sort of, you know, breaks out of that at some point. He's still, you know, really young, but, um, but I can see where my feast or famine at times 
lifestyle <laughs> and jumping off the bridge to just, you know, let's try this, let's try that, uh, instilled some fear in him for sure. <laughs> Well, and you know what, as mental health providers, uh, and you can let me know what you think, Dr. Ashley, but one of the things I've found for myself and for many other mental health providers is that you're the entrepreneur that isn't, so to speak, right? If you're just Mm -hmm. in the service provision area, because many people are running a business, their own private practice. I can't tell you how many different national conferences I've gone to where there are tons of seminars on how to collect copays, which cracks me up every time. And I've sat in a bunch of them and it's things like how to like telling uh, mental health providers that they actually need to collect copays, that they need to stay on top of their billing, that they need to understand that their mental health service provision is also part of a business. And that's not something that's really taught in graduate schools. In the more recent years, I've seen many more seminars on find your niche and beginning again to grow the business. And those are things that I think are standard concepts in the entrepreneurial world. But mental health providers, I think, have in many ways been held back by this idea that and I'm. (laughs) I just realized I'm about to segue into something. I'm laughing in my own head before I've even said the words. So there's this, we should uh, just listen and we should be willing to help people. And maybe we shouldn't be concerned about having a business or collecting money. I think those have been some of the underlying attitudes. Oh, yes. Okay. So that is probably one of the biggest truth bombs that will come out of this. I can remember hearing in graduate school from a professor that also had a private practice, you really don't need to worry about the business part. You don't really need to do it. Like, what? Okay. I know, right? My little entrepreneurial heart weapon kind of broke. Um, She's like, you're not going to go into private practice for yourself. You really shouldn't. Oh, okay. And I internalized that back then I was young, you know, I was like, okay, I was in my twenties and I was like, oh, okay. So private practice is not an avenue that we want to go in. Cause clearly she's standing here and she's in private practice and she's saying that's not a good idea. Okay. So, you know, I start looking at other things and I heard that so much. You should not go into private practice. You should not go into private practice over and over and over and over. And Really, to keep my journey very short, I was working the federal prison system. I got hurt in a training exercise. No matter what I did, including surgery, to fix my knee, it just wasn't happening. Oh, and no. so, uh, yeah, it it completely derailed my entire career path. Like I was on the way to be a warden. That's what I wanted to do for the next 25 years of my life. And <laughs> I know, I know, that's a whole nother episode. So, um, you know, like I was going on this career path and this one thing totally derailed me and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And throughout the whole thing, I basically just threw my hands up and said, forget it. I am moving back to my hometown and I'm going to open a private practice. And I don't know what in the world made my mindset shift to the fact that I was just going to make it work when I'd heard so many years, 
you can't do it. It won't happen. You shouldn't open one. I was just like, screw it. This is going to happen because I'm going to eat and I'm going to make it happen no matter what. And I did, but I'd heard for so many years, you shouldn't do this because fill in the blank. And what really they were saying is you shouldn't do this because I can't make it work. That's really Mm -hmm. what they were saying. Um, But I wasn't in tuned enough back then in order to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting path. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why I started a mental health business show, because I come from that side of the the spectrum in terms of being in the field. I started in that realm and um, I just I'm I'm not shocked, but I am a little bit shocked. I knew it was going to be a popular series, but I didn't really know how popular it was going to be. And it's really popular because we're talking about the real stuff that goes on and what you need to watch out for and what's going on and everything. And, uh, you know, when I sat back and I looked at how many people are tuning into it, I went, wow, I, I I didn't even realize how necessary this information is, you know? it's one of those things that is fascinating to me as if there's this idea that if you're a mental health provider, somehow it would, it's like wrong or dirty or inappropriate to think about money and having a business. And I think that we see that in other professions as well, but it's so surprising because to me, it's sort of the hidden part of mental health stigma, right? It's hard enough to get people to utilize mental health services, and we're already sort of openly working against that stigma. But there's this other side of it uh, that somehow if you want to make a go of a business, if you want to be acknowledging that you earn money and that you actually collect payments and things like that, then somehow that you're not as I don't know, pure of heart or altruistic as maybe there's a sense that you should be. What do you guys think about that? I think that's totally true. So what I have um, on my end and the people that I've worked with, they tell me, well, I mean, isn't it enough that I just want to help people? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm all for that. That is exactly why I got into this business. It's exactly why I keep seeing clients. You know, yes, that's totally it. I do want to help people too. However, can you imagine if you made more money and you had a bigger ability to help people what your impact could be? So I don't subscribe to the notion that just because you make money that you are a bad person. I subscribe to the notion that if you make money, you can have a bigger impact. And so when I start telling people that and they're like, oh, wait a minute, you mean I could hire another professional to work with me. I could have, you know, a bigger office and have people come in like a psychiatrist or a counselor or a social worker or another, a mental health nurse to talk about medication management. You know, all these other services I can provide in my community. Oh, you mean I could do that? Yes, that's exactly what that means. So I can hire um, a biller or I can hire. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I can open up more space in my calendar because I don't have to do all of these other administrative tasks. I can see more clients that way or I could have a group or, you know, whatever. Um, 
I think people just because they don't have the business background, they don't think that way. They're taught, well, you know, you can probably handle five or six clients a day. And, you know, when you get to five or six clients a day, that's probably the max. And, you know, if you add any more, you're just really greedy. And that's not true. Not, not the way I look at things. Um, but I've heard, I've heard oh, people yeah. say it. I've heard, yep. I've heard clinicians say it. I've heard professional, um, like administrators say it at hospitals. I've heard professors say it it's at colleges. Like mm -hmm. if you take on more clients, you're greedy. No, no, you're not. You're trying to make a bigger impact and there's nothing wrong with that. I've definitely heard that. And I've also seen it in terms of as well, sort of a different piece of that, what it does to people when they're trying to do everything. So mm -hmm. I, as you know, talk a lot with people about radical self-care, setting boundaries, being your own best friend, and really living the kind of life that you want and burnout mm -hmm. and how to not get there. And I see people who sort of, despite the negative ideas, go ahead because they need to make a living. And then they'll be seeing a lot of clients a day and trying to do everything else. And then, of course they do begin to get burnt out. They're not giving the same quality of service. But somehow all of this seems to come down to this idea that if you care about other people and you're providing services for other people, then, you know, somehow that should be separate from financial ease. And I think that that is such a fallacy. I agree. And I also think the other piece that you're saying is the kind of the segue for how this conversation needs to happen. People say, well, you should just help other people. Yes. Well, I do help other people. However, in order for me to help other people, I have to also help me first. <laughs> you know, I have to fill yes. my cup first in order for me to then pour my whatever into their cup. So if I am not sleeping, if I'm not eating well, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not the best professional in that room with them that day. So exactly. maybe I'm not helping them as, as best I can. So it's, it, I think it all comes down to these should expectations and we hear them all the time. And I think we don't focus on how we want things to be. We just internalize what other people want us to do, if that makes sense. Or yeah. what we think that they want yes. us to do, right? Sometimes yes. we don't even know, right? Yes, totally. Yeah, I've had, I've had people give me grief that, um, I mean, people in, you know, the same profession as, as you two, and, you know, I know we're all in mental health, but I mean, people that are psychotherapists or psychologists or social workers um, say, yeah, I just am really disappointed. Not a lot, but I'm uh, not a lot of people said this, but a few have said, yeah, I'm just really disappointed that you would have sponsors and advertise, you know, advertisers <laughs> of your shows on your network. And I'm like, are you like, what planet are you from? Like somehow I'm being I'm buying into big brother and selling my soul to something or other because we have advertisers and I'm like, um, am I, is it because that money tree that grows in my yard, um, you know, <laughs> is not enough or something. It's just utterly, I just go, Oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting belief in, uh, lack, but I don't right. share it mm -hmm. with you. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think the the back end of that and people that don't know anything about business, and that to me is very clear they don't know anything about business, is you don't just choose any sponsor in the world. You don't just at, let anybody right. advertise. You're very choosy about who you use. You're very choosy about what you provide for your listeners. And that then allows your listeners to do things like self-care, uh, yep. make systems easier for their business. I mean, a whole host of things that if they really listened and thought about, well, how would I use that in my business? Or how could I use this or this idea to make things simpler for me? It's not going to be easy, but it can be more simple Then you know, like you're really doing them a service. It's meaning to help, not, oh yeah, I'm rolling in the dough over here because that's not what it is at all. Right. Um, it's right. it's meaning to be helpful, like all of this is. So, mm-hmm. but I you know what? I, in, the, in the spiritual community, like uh, you know, when you get into um, anything related to you know whatever someone's spiritual beliefs are, that it just in the way that it said, oh, this person is so great. And they don't charge for any of the healing that they do. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that's a good thing of this person. And sometimes it makes a, a sense, but they, I don't know, sometimes that makes sense. But then when I dig a little bit deeper about it, oh, okay, well, they have a foundation. The foundation is taking donations. And so they're mm-hmm. being paid in a different way to do what they do. And so they can charge less or whatever. But on the whole, it's such a bizarre twist of money associated with your um, not as pure or as much of a healer if you actually expect to be paid for your services. <laughs> you know, and, and money money is energy and money is yep. transactional. And if someone is rolling in the dough, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's great. Hallelujah. Because that's what that person's doing. And they have whatever opportunities to use that in some way. But, and Dr. Ashley, you mentioned about lack. And I think that there's this sense of lack, whether it's lack in terms of, am I good enough? to have that? Do I deserve that? Or is there just not enough money in the world to go around? There's all these different ways where lack can show up in our lives. And to me, it's just so fascinating. I exactly see it both in the spiritual community, mental health community. You see this in all sorts of places. Uh, But if we also think about it, we see it in nursing. We see it in what Mm -hmm. we pay our teachers, which has cracked me up for eternity. Like, hey, let's take our most important resource, right? Our children and really significantly underpay our educators because, hey, why not? You know, (laughs) it's there's some interesting societal ways that we have to look at things. But I was just at a retreat and one of the things, it was a business retreat. And so I was presenting on a variety of topics and someone else was talking specifically about money and mindset. And really it was across every kind of entrepreneur that were there. And there were several mental health providers among the group as well. And it was so fascinating to see the ways in which people have these thoughts and ideas about money and compensation and how it gets all tangled up in ideas of worth and value. Oh, yeah. 
Um, how long do we have to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's so I'm, I'm going to tell him my dad here, but when we were <laughs> growing up and I know, right. But I mean, he would tell you that he said this, um, when we were growing up and I have a younger brother who's two and a half years younger than I am. And, um, I come from a very blue collar family and both my brother and I, we're the first to go to college and graduate. We both have terminal degrees in our area. And I mean, when my when we were going to school, my dad was just like, do not, whatever you do, don't go into teaching. Do not go into teaching. And, you know, back then I was like, what? Why wouldn't I go into teaching? I love teaching people. And I, my first job out of my master's program was a school counselor. And I learned very fast why he said, <laughs> do not go into teaching. And so, um, you know, so I was rocking along and he's like, Ashley, you're working 60 hours a week for now it was the most money I had ever made at that point, but really it was peanuts. And he's like, are you going to keep doing this for the rest of your life? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't really get to see the kids, which is why I went into school counseling and, you know, like I only get to deal with the parents when there's a problem. And really, I'm just shuffling paperwork. That's really all I did. I was a professional organizer slash shuffle paperwork person. <laughs> and I was good at it. But that's beside the point. That's not what I went to school for. So I, you know, he was like, if you don't want to keep doing this, then you need to go back to school. So I did. And um, he, he was like, okay, now you got another shot at this, like, don't become a teacher. <laughs> and like halfway through grad school, I was like, I think I'm going to be a professor. And he was like, Ashley, seriously, really? Don't you know? And it was before I got into the prison work. And um, so I did teach. I taught for a while, um, both while I was in grad school and afterwards. And I loved it. I loved it so much. But wow, I could not pay bills on that at all. And I don't even live like really to my means. I don't live beyond my means for sure. And I was struggling. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to look at this a different way. I now teach when I go in to work with my clients, I teach them skills while I'm there. Um, I teach my business clients skills. I teach, you know, just for free when I go into like a Facebook group and say, hey, what if you thought about it this way? How would that impact your mindset? How would that impact your business? What if you tried this strategy? And so that's all teaching. And the sad part is, is that we really do not reward that skill, but it's so vital in everything that we do. And it's really sad that we don't reward it. Um, and we come up with these things like, you don't need to do this you shouldn't do this because you won't get compensated. Well, okay, but I really love it. Well, yeah, but I really also love to eat. So <laughs> it's this war of like, you know, it's, it's an internal thing where if I had defined my version of what I felt was success, along the way, instead of listening to my professor said, I shouldn't do this. And my dad said, I shouldn't do this. And society says I shouldn't do this. And um, because I'm a woman, I shouldn't do this. And, you know, like all of these voices 
that make no sense. If I had to find things for myself, maybe I would have gotten here sooner or maybe I wouldn't have gotten here at all. So it goes to show, in my opinion, and what I tell people is like, you need to figure out what things look like for you. Is that value that you put on a dollar society's value on that dollar or is that your value? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, are you worth Mm -hmm. $500 an hour or are you worth $50 an hour? Well, you got to determine that. And if $50 an hour works for you and that's what you want to do and that's what the market will bear, do it. You know, I mean, it's just because somebody says you should make whatever or you should do this does not mean that's what you have to do. But you have to define the success for yourself or the failure, however you want to look at it. You can look at it both coin, both sides of the coin. Um, and then do, you know, act. Because if you don't act, then you are, in my opinion, failing. Like, at least try something. Um, and if it doesn't work, fine. But Right. Instead of getting caught up in these other ideas that someone else is setting that are really reflective of whatever way they look at the world, you know, right. instead of taking on someone else's worldview, someone else's sense of abundance or lack, someone else's right. sense of what's uh, fulfilling or what isn't, literally looking inside and saying, hey, what works for me? And you know, my goal is always, how do we make this world a better place? Because I think we really need to do that. And one of those ways is by knowing who we are as an individual. And this is not about I'm better than you or you're better than me. It's not about a comparison at all. It's about saying, if I know me and I value me and I spend time doing the kinds of things that I think really matter and are important separate from what anyone else thinks, then I'm adding to that positive approach to the world. And I really see that then making a difference. I totally agree. Totally. I mean, that to me is the version of success. Did I do what I felt was good for today? You know, if my version of good for today is I do nothing but get to talk to you guys for an hour and have this amazing conversation that Mm -hmm will go out and one person is helped. Oh man, I just made my entire day. One person, yeah. that, that's all I need. I don't need to talk to a million people in an arena. Could I? Sure. Would that be awesome? Yeah, probably. Um, but if I meet one person where they are and one person thinks differently or for themselves or makes a change that helps them in one way, one tiny way, then everything was worth it. Um, but that's my version of success. You know, I talk to people all the time and, and they're like, oh, well, no, I don't, I don't want to just help one person at a time. Um, that's not my version of what I want to do. I want to be in front of that arena, you know, and that's fine too. Um, you know, just depends on what you want. That's very true. I, I, hear this because I'll hear people pitch me their idea for a podcast and um if they come in and you know they're I want to be the next Ellen DeGeneres I'm like "Mm, I don't know that we're the right place for you not that there's anything you know wrong with that um at all but we're we're really about you know we want you to be the next you 
And if stardom, uh, if, if that's a big thing for you is, um, is that stardom factor that doesn't, that's not necessarily something that resonates with, with us. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but that putting that out in front of advocacy, uh, how, you know, being able to reach one person or a thousand people or more, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not putting this well, but that's always fascinating to me when I have people come in and literally that's their only goal. I want to be famous. And I'm like, I'm more interested in what it is you want to be famous for and why fame is such a big deal for you. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, a different way of approaching, well, kind of worldview that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could really care less about quote unquote fame. I mean, I don't even really know what fame looks like, but <laughs> I mean, you know, it could just be yeah. so many different things, yeah. right. but impact. If yes. somebody says, whoa, you know, I listened to that episode and, you know, y'all, just the three of y'all were, y'all were talking about this and it really resonated with me that just saying it gives me chills. Like that's what I want. Um, and for me, because the path that I've taken, like that's my version. Well, I guess that's my version of fame. Um, Mm -hmm. not that my name is attached to it at all, but that the conversation we had was so impactful. Somebody got something from it. That is super cool. Um, and to me, that is how I, you know, how I show up and how I try to make the world a better place and, you know, all the good vibe part of being an entrepreneur, because it's not always about the money, right? you know, I mean, the money helps me make the impact, but sometimes it can just be about, you know, introducing somebody to someone else that they really need and, they were struggling. They're like, Oh my gosh, that person made such a difference in my business. Um, or, you know, like the live event where I met Christina, like just talking to somebody sometimes really just having a conversation and feeling like you're not the only psychologist in the world that thinks entrepreneurship <laughs> is cool. Um, that hey, really does gift. make a difference. I know, yes. especially after you've heard for, you know, 15 ish years, like you shouldn't want to do that. You shouldn't want to be more business oriented. Yeah, the shoulds. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the shoulds. So it is. When I was at this retreat, one of the things that it, as I was thinking about money and myself and the different things that I do, and you guys know I do a lot of different things. I do speaking. I do mm-hmm. psychotherapy. I actually teach because I'm a professor at Bay Path University and I do some executive coaching uh, and I've written a couple books and I actually, oh, I, I don't know that you know this. I'm going to have a um, workbook coming out. It's a nice, it's trauma tool, trauma toolbox for teens. And right, because I like doing some of everything like that's me. That's how it's put together. But as we were talking about money, what hit me was that there are some volunteer things that I do that mean everything to me. They're what fill my cup and absolutely make a difference in my life. One of those is stress for success. And I was thinking, you know, the more financially stable that I am, 
more, as we said earlier, I can have other people do things like have someone do scheduling for me or do something else for me. And that means I have literally more time to spend with those women at Dress for Success or to spend connecting with other startup companies who are really trying to make a difference for girls, women, and people in the world. Like Those are things I care about so much. And when I have the financial resources, I'm able to give my gifts in a way that really begins to make an impact in the areas that are close to my personal values and the things that I see that I would love to be active in changing. And so that's a great thing. Like then I'm like, hallelujah money. Like, yay, super, you know, <laughs> let's have sponsors and let's have right. all of the things that let us be in that place where we can be doing the things so that we're an active participant in making the kind of world, the place that we want to live in. Yeah. Can I share a story real quick? It's a short oh, one. Yeah. Okay. So um, not too long ago, I had someone just out of the blue. I mean, we have every day, we have somebody asking about, you know, um, can we be a guest on your shows or one of your shows? Can we be a podcaster? And this was a referral from somebody else. And um, I did the meeting and I go through my whole spiel about, well, this is what our network is. I share the screen and find out what it is that, you know, they want to podcast about. And I tell them, you know, this is what it costs to join the network. And here are some ways that you can make it more affordable. There are things that you can do on your own that we don't need to do for you. You know, we really work hard um, to make this affordable for everyone because mental health still is a really highly underfunded sector of healthcare. So, and we don't operate like a lot of other networks do. Not that there's anything wrong with how um, other networks operate. Um, we're just a little more conscious, well, a lot more conscious about funding. So I'm, I'm doing this and then we got into talking about you know, well, I want to have sponsorships for my show and blah, blah, blah. And I, we went into that whole deal and I said, um, the network takes, you know, a certain percentage of any kind of sponsorship that comes in. And they just were so upset about that. They thought that was ridiculous. Uh, why would we get any, you know, of that? It's their hard work, blah, blah, blah. I said, our, I, I said, okay, well, that's certainly your opinion. And, um, but, you know, if you're going to be a part of this network, we do take a minimal portion of that, um, which help helps fund our mission. Well, what does it help fund? <laughs> very, you know, very kind of a snarky, um, insulted way of asking that. And I said, well, some of our podcasters were gifted podcasts because they couldn't afford it. And, um, but they have a voice and they have something to say. We're going to be giving a podcast to an organization in Kenya that has absolutely no funding to be able to pay for a podcast, but boy, do I want them to have one. And so part of the money that we take, you know, for um, ad revenue is to help fund those initiatives. And she just said, well, I, that's not something I would want to put that, you know, there was just this big argument, argument. And I said, you know what? I don't think we're a good fit for you, but I, I love what you're wanting to podcast about, but um, everybody that's a part of what we're doing is on board with that kind of a mission. And, you know, I was very polite and man, I got the nastiest email after that um, because they didn't like being quote unquote rejected. 
And um, I just chose not to engage, you know, any further in it and sort of bless you on your way, um, you know, in my head as I didn't respond to the last email. And I thought, gosh, yeah, that's somebody that's really got some issues with money right there. And they're a therapist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and to me, it's just basic. We are using money as a transaction between people in terms of goods and services, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's what it is. And mm -hmm. that's great. Like, why, why would that be a problem? Like right. goods and services, like, okay, that's not an issue. And that's not even getting into sort of societally some of the ways that certain things are funded and other things aren't funded. You know, okay. we, we've only had mental health parity allegedly for a very short period of time in terms of years. And right. we still know that stigma gets in the way of that, you know, that so regardless, again, without sort of getting into all of those other pieces, those same people who don't want uh, to support a business in the actual business expenses are also the people who grew up in families of people with jobs who themselves have had jobs that are all involved in the same goods and services transactions. And it's not that one is bad and one is good, right? So it, all of this, and, and I love how you talk about shoulds because all of this in my mind just keeps coming back to this should as if there's a moral standard someone decides for someone else. And I know, Dr. Ashley, that your key goal in communicating with people around that is become your own moral compass, become your own internal lighthouse and shine that light in the direction that you want to go rather than the direction somebody else is saying, this is it, because their direction could be heading for the Rocky Shoals. Yeah. And you just like, that was a beautiful picture that you just painted Thank of you. that. You're welcome. I like it that. To me. I might steal it. You steal can. It. Um, yeah. Well, that's the big thing. And I don't understand really why this is not taught in mental health because it really makes sense. You have to define what you want. Okay. So um, and I used to tell people when I would evaluate them and they were like, well, I want a therapist. Okay. Well, I haven't had good luck with a therapist before. So, you know, I don't know what to do. Okay. Well, you know, you tell your therapist, Hey, here's some stuff that I want to work on. And they're like, yeah, I did that before, but they told me, no, we're going to work on something else. And I was like, well, sometimes. It is beneficial to work on something else if they see that there is a step that needs to be taken before what you want to do. I said, but if you see that you're not getting to what you want to work on, and this is your therapy, then you need to tell them, like, I want to work on this. This is where I'm comfortable right now. This is where I want to work. And that becomes kind of a parallel for these conversations we don't have ever anywhere in meeting our needs. My need is X, Y, Z. I don't need you to tell me what I should do. I have this internal reaction when somebody says, well, you should do so-and-so. Oh, <laughs> my stomach starts flipping and, 
you know, my blood pressure rises and it's really not good for my overall health. And I've learned to control that, but it, but like it immediately sets me off guard. Like, wait a minute, hold on. You are not living my life. You don't get to tell me what I should or should not do. And then I become very reactive instead of, and here's what I've had to learn over the years when I hear the, okay, well, you should, you should work on that topic that I want you to work on. Okay. I appreciate you saying I should work on that and I'm open to maybe working on that. But right now, this right here is more pressing in my life. Mm. And the client should be able to say that. And as the therapist, I should be able to hear it and say, okay, I understand that she needs to work on this. That's not where she's at. So we've got to fix something first for her. And then maybe she'll let me translate back into this other thing that I think is a bigger deal for her. Maybe it's just not a big deal for her right now because she can't see the forest for the trees. We got to clear that one tree. Then maybe she can see the bigger picture. And we do that in relationships. We do it in business relationships, in romantic relationships, friendships, all of this stuff. And instead of, you know, well, you should wear whatever. You should (laughs) drive this kind of car. These are the things I hear. Um, I hear all the time, you should be married. Um, (laughs) I'm not. And, you know, I could give you a whole list of people that if they wanted to propose to me tomorrow, maybe I would be married. But (laughs) at this point, I'm not. So I'm not really sure where that should comes into my life. I, I mean, what do you want me to do? Like go propose to the next random person I see at the store in a little while and I go pick up some groceries? Like, That is how unrealistic these conversations and these expectations are. It is that unrealistic for somebody to say, well, you should be married. Well, number one, you don't really know me. (laughs) Number two, that is not where I am right now. That is going to be a disaster. First of all, I can just tell you, and I don't want to put either of us through that. So that's not going to happen. But I also should not then say, should not say, well, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I can simply say, I hear you. That's not where I am in my life. Because what I actually heard was they think they should be married. Mm-hmm. They don't think I should be. They think they mm-hmm. should be married. Mm-hmm. And that is the way most people grow up is that you grow up and you get a job and you get married, and you have 2.5 kids, and the white picket fence, and a dog, and a cat, and that's what you do, and (laughs) that's totally how it was, well, we didn't have cats when I was little, but I do have one now, Um, so, you know, like, it kind of changes a little bit, but not much, and that's still the persona that people put out there, and it's, in the last 10 years, I've seen things change, you know, relationships look different now, and people are choosing to live together and not like legally be married and they're, you know, or they are married and they physically live in two different places and that's totally okay for them. And it's really, really cool to see some of these shoulds be destroyed, but they're not, they're causing so many problems before they kind of get abolished or exploded or whatever big word you want to use that we have to tune in to our own selves and say, what do I want 
for my life. And then I think out of that and why I think Christina and I get along so well is I think that decision also then helps people be awesome, helps people not have burnout, you know, helps people like deal with trauma, all the stuff that she works with. I think it just, it really dovetails so well. Um, And so that's why I'm so passionate about it. And you can't see me, but I'm using all kinds of hand gestures. um, (laughs) I could just, you know, like, (laughs) I know, right. Um, And I've got, you know, this big, I'm standing up and I'm excited and big smile on my face. So great thing to be passionate about, right? Because the more that we support people in knowing themselves and being themselves, right? The word people are using authentic a lot right now. And I actually like it because to my mind, it's yet another way to use language to really underscore you as who you are, are totally awesome. You're worthy. You're deserving of love, care, and compassion. All you need to do is be you. There's no should to be anything other than you. Right. Agree. And there's nothing, like, there's nothing like turning around a sentence like that. I don't get a lot of should stuff anymore other than in my own head. I don't get it from other other people, but um, I stopped getting that. I guess, you know, my my body language changed to where people know that they're not invited to shit on me. I guess that's probably what it is. So mm-hmm. um, how that happened was by going, well, why is it that you think I should do that? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh my is. gosh, that's amazing. Steal that one too. But Kristen, this I is am. what I want to know. Uh, what about the shoulds in your head? Because I think for many of us, the shoulds in our head are even louder and stronger than the ones from other people. Because not everybody is going around sharing their personal idea about what we should do. I do think that it's very common for all of us to create that dialogue in our own head. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely, we do that. I, that's lessened for me over time, too, because I started asking myself that same question. Well, why is it that you think you need to do that? Why is it you think you should do that? And in a bit of, in a very compassionate voice, it used to be just that was all about shaming myself. But now it's like, okay, I love myself as this adult that I am. So if I think I should do something, um, I better be able to answer that question well. And if I do, then maybe I'll do it. And if I don't have a compelling answer for myself, then I'll keep thinking about it or I'll let it go. (laughs) I literally just had a similar conversation with someone the other day and they were saying, what do you think I should do about blah, 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 blah. And my goal was really to support the person in figuring out their answer to that. And I said, here's the technique that I find works for me. And I think a lot of other people have found very helpful. I think about what would my, the best version of me do? If I'm living as my best self, the kind of person that I want to be with the values and the ideals that matter to me, what's my decision? And it's often pretty easy, right? If if I start saying, well, if I'm my best self or the best version of me, then how do I want to handle this? The answer becomes pretty clear. Go ahead. Don't go ahead. Do this. Don't do that. Whatever 
the area is. It's when I'm caught up in what I think somebody else will think about me or how my behavior or my lack of behavior is going to have a um, some kind of judgment from someone else that the should start to come in. So that's my trick is what would the best version of me decide? And I think what I heard you say, along with that, of uh, being the best version of you and making the choice is it went from what should I do to what could I do? Exactly. And that becomes a right. very different conversation, either Absolutely. externally or internally. You know, I do my best not to think in shoulds. I think in coulds. What could mm-hmm. I do? How would that work? Um, so, you know, I try and I don't always make this happen, but I try to completely eliminate the word should from my vocabulary externally and internally. And so then it becomes a not so pressured field conversation. Um, and if I'm talking to myself, which I do sometimes and guys, if you're listening, it's totally okay. Um, we do that too. We do that all the time. Totally, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just like what, what Kristen said, it becomes a more compassionate conversation with myself is, you know, okay, what could I do? What could I do right now? What, you know, what impact is that going to have? What would that mean for me in, you know, an hour or a week or next year? And it then opens the space for possibility versus, in my opinion, closing the door. If it's a should, it becomes a door closed instead Mm. of a door open and walking through to all of these possibilities that could be very, very important and very meaningful for you and other people. Absolutely. Yes. So it's goodbye to should, right? And hello, what could or how could? Yeah. Love it. I love it. I love it. Perfect closing for this show. That is a wonderful thought to walk away with. Uh, Dr. Ashley, share with our listeners where they can find out more about you. Sure. My website is drashleyhampton.com and it's D-R Ashley Hampton. And you can find me on Facebook, same facebook.com slash Dr. Ashley Hampton and same thing on Instagram. And uh, I would love to hear from you guys, especially on what are you hearing that's a should in your life and how do you want to change it? How are you changing it? What impact did that have? Uh, Please reach out. I would love to hear more about your stories. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been fun having you. I see. I told you. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It really has changed like my perspective for the day. Um, So you guys won't hear this on a Monday, but this is recorded on a Monday. And, you know, sometimes Mondays are just hard. And so now I'm thinking like, oh, I'm so invigorated. Like I can get off this (laughs) podcast interview and what am I going to conquer now Monday afternoon? And so it really has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate both of you. Absolutely. So happy to have you. Thank you, Dr. Christina Hallett, for joining us again for your Be Awesome series. And I want to make sure our listeners know that Dr. Hallett is transitioning from her series on Mental Health News Radio Network into having a very own podcast uh, on the network, which will be the Be Awesome podcast. So that is going to launch. Uh, We're setting that up for 
February, aren't we? Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. So please, listeners, stay tuned. We'll have a couple more shows left that we're doing here on on uh, Mental Health News Radio, and then we will um, let you know when that show goes live in February. And thank you again, everyone, for tuning in always that you do the long time that listeners, you've been sticking around with us. We appreciate you and um, everyone have an awesome day or (laughs) think about how you could have an awesome day, but don't think about how you should have one. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks everyone. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.